from Mushroom, this is some of my best work. I'm your host, Jane Rocker. Shane Nicholson had just been on his first date since he split with Casey Chambers when he found the inspiration for this song, Secondhand Man. backbone of what would become his ARIA award-winning album, Hell Breaks Loose, much of it written in the remote town of Hermansburg near Alice Springs. With the song and the album came new audiences to Shane's shows, a new chapter in his body of work and an appreciation for himself as an artist following the release in 2015. Shane has recently released his new single, And You Will Have Your Way. The single is taken from his new album, Living in Colour, out now. He's also on tour through South Australia and Queensland from December to January. More information about his upcoming live shows and new music can be found in the episode notes. Here's Shane Nicholson and the story behind Secondhand Man for this episode of Some of My Best Work. Okay, the, the, I wrote Secondhand Man after my divorce in 2013 and I hadn't written a song for a while but I was thinking about writing uh, an album, like I was ready to make an album which eventually became the Hell Breaks Loose record. I had some ideas but there was nothing to really hang it off yet. There was no pivotal song that kind of kick-started the process and um, actually I went on my first post-marriage date which was quite uneventful to be <laughs> honest but I had the idea walking back to my hotel after this day being a second-hand man I had this idea in my head of what have you got to offer when you're nearly you're just about to turn 40 with two kids you know what I don't, I'm not sure I was just trying to take stock of the things that um you you had on on offer for a, a new potential partner maybe and and I remember thinking that I liked the juxtaposition of first and second and it was that that's how the line came together I'll be first in line if you're looking for a secondhand man that was the line that sparked the song and then I was just started kind of I don't know sat in the hotel that night thinking about all these different things which ended up being aspects of the song. And so just to go back to that time, because it's, as you say, taken from the album Hell Breaks Loose, and, and that was released in 2015, but then you say the marriage ended around 2013. So you writing this 2014, and is this before you even go to Alice Springs to, to um, hang out with Warren H. Williams? It was. It started a bit before that. So I actually went off to Alice where, where most of the stuff happened, but... The idea for Secondhand Man came earlier and that was that's what kind of made me think, okay, I could I haven't written for a long time. I gotta get this record underway. And that's why um I took Warren's invitation to head out to Alice and then all these songs just started flowing. But uh, Alice is what made the record come together, but it was Secondhand Man that got me on the plane to go there and do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was about two thousand fourteen. I think I spent the first year after my divorce, after we separated, I spent that first year just completely uh, holed up in the studio making records for other people. 
just th- threw myself into work. You know, that was kind of my my go-to. Uh, and it wasn't until I did 12 months of that or so that I realized I felt ready to, do, you know, start making some music of my own again. But it was really Secondhand Man that turned that around. So that's why it's always been sort of a pivotal song for me. I mean, obviously, as you say, it's some of your best work because it really takes you back to that moment of change for you. Tell us a little about, though, the song coming together musically. Well, that's another reason it's kind of special to me is that it's um, every song has a different journey coming to life. Some of them, some of them are harder pregnancies than others, and some some are really easy, and some just fall into place. Some are a bit of a search, and some are really a struggle. But this one was kind of none of those things it just it came from a simple guitar riff that I had and the next thing I knew it married up perfectly with what I'd been jotting down take note taking in the hotel that night after the after the kind of misadventure of the first date it just kind of fell into place and it sounds kind of frivolous or kind of something to talk to talk about a song like that but it, it it really just came together really, really quickly and quite easily. The songwriting process did, but then that carried through into the production of the song as well because I actually had my good friend Matt Fell produce that record for me. It's the first time, I guess it was a time for making big changes, so I actually got somebody else to come in and produce my record for a change and actually hand over control, like in a, in a very big way, which is not was not ever my want earlier on I was embracing all these different kinds of changes I think and um, different ways of working trying to push myself a little bit past my old boundaries and so I handed that song over to him the production of it and just kind of let him steer the ship a little bit and I was surprised just how quickly it fell into exactly the way I heard it in my head and that's not I wouldn't say that's a common occurrence in the recording studio, but it just, the guitar riff was so pivotal to the song, it seemed to inform every other decision that was made and it all just flowed from there. And then the next thing I knew, it just came together. And I think that's probably why it always sticks out in my mind as an important song and and something I would choose for this today because it it covers so many bases for me. Like... uh, you know, I've recorded hundreds of songs over the years, but there's certain ones that you remember for certain reasons. But this one is every reason, the writing of it, the production of it, the final result, the the process that it kick-started. It, it kind of just, it, it did so much for me, you know. But it, it didn't even stop there. Like once it went out into the world, it became a whole other thing again as well. So it's been, yeah, it, it really, it really took me places. Let's talk a little bit about Matt and your friendship with him. And as you say, you're often controlling the process of production. You've done it with your work. You do it for other artists. What was it like to let go of that aspect? Well, the great thing about Matt is that we've worked together for a long, long time. We're best friends. We both love Billy Joel to the ends of the earth. We, We agree on so much. So handing over control to him in the studio wasn't that hard for me because I kind of already know how he works, what he does. My relationship with producers in the past has always been quite push and pull because I've often felt like I'm not really 
getting what I want from another producer. This this was the first time that I handed control over and was impressed by what came back rather than me feeling like I had to battle it. So it was one of the most beautiful times for me because I could just enjoy the process. Um, there's a great moment in the making of video of Hell Breaks Loose where he's recording the bass part on Second Hand Man. And I do remember that. I remember sitting in the studio when that happened and that was the moment I thought, oh, this song, done. And it wasn't done. We'd done drums and bass. It was nowhere near done. But I, I knew at that moment, oh, we've got this. This is going to be great. We captured that little bit on video, which is in the, the behind the scenes. So there's little moments like that that always stick in your mind with songs, you know. I remember doing the vocal on that song and thinking – this is cool. I've never put my voice in some of these zones before. I've never sung some of these range, this parts of my range before, and it's all working. This is, and it was just one of those. I don't know. It sounds kind of make, it trivializes it to say it was easy, but that's kind of my recollection of it is that it was just really easy. <laughs> And I remember listening to an interview that you gave um, talking about how you often do record ideas and notes in your phone, but then you have this habit of also those phones get caught up in the wash or you lose them. How did you sort of create the work around this? And I'm wondering if that interview that I heard was what you were doing around the time of making this album or if you've sort of changed your habits since or is the phone something you still go to? It's not so much anymore. That was pre I did uh, most of this, the writing of this rec of this particular record in a old-fashioned book and with a pen, and I still do now. And I still got the lyrics for this song somewhere written, you know, in that book. And I keep them all because I, yeah, you're right. I lost so many phones or w put them in a washing machine and lost. And that was before. That was pre iCloud days, and there was nothing was backed up, and I lost lots of songs. And I used to try and remain philosophical about it and think, well those songs weren't meant to be and there must be better ones coming but it gets a bit hard to swallow and you've lost you know 30 or 40 songs every time you lose a phone <laughs> so I went back to a book and a pen and it, that was much better in Alice anyway sitting you know out there I was off and off on little writing adventures every day and my phone would have been flat and it hardly worked out there so I didn't really have my phone going so it was all back to paper and pen I just remember thinking, okay, I'm sick of losing songs. I can't, you know, I've got to find a better system. But as fate would have it, I've gone back to using the phone a little bit because at least it's automatically backed up now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Straight on the iCloud. That's good to hear. Exactly. You've been making music for so long, but it does take these real turning points in our lives that make us look at our life as if it's on a dotted line and you've gone, okay, I've gotten this far doing this and now this is the road I'm going to take. Actually, there's something I wanted to ask you too though. As you say, Secondhand Man was written at home and then you take the trip to Alice. Did you share and discuss that song at all with Warren when you are in Alice Springs? I wonder what happens to that song there or... <laughs> I didn't. It was sitting in a book and, and it wasn't even completely fully polished at that point. It was just a, a skeleton of a song and I knew there was a great song there. I just hadn't – I still hadn't gotten on – I hadn't been bitten by the, the bug yet, which that's what came at Alice. So I knew I had a great song and I knew that there was going to be an album there, but he also – saw that I wasn't really making any progress at home. I'd, I'd written half a song or whatever, but he, he, I think he's pretty intuitive and uh, he saw in me that I, I just needed to get out of my bubble, you know, that I was living in this studio world every day. And um, 
he just took me out there for some, I guess, some perspective and a re- removal from day-to-day life, you know. So I thought we were going to spend 10 days of hanging out together and hearing, you know, his great, great Indigenous stories of the area because he's local to Hermansburg where we were. Um, but actually he just watched the World Cup the whole time and sent me off on my own and I would just walk around town and find places to sit and write songs. So I did finish Secondhand Man out there, like polished it up, and then about six of the other songs just flowed in no time and it was it was closing that that first song chapter, finishing that song there. Is when that just that just opened the floodgates and everything came. You talk about the marriage breakdown, but where do you live after that and does that also play a part in that? I, I'm imagining if you're moving out of the home or relocating and just having to set up somewhere and being away from the kids, all that plays a part into what we're going to hear from you, Shane Nicholson, musically, right? Absolutely. Most of that album was informed by that in one way or another. Um, and I did find that one of the toughest one of the toughest things I've ever done in my life is to, is to move out of a, a family home and then reset up a new one and make it comfortable for enough for children who were young at the time to want to go there and feel as home as they do in their, you know, their birth home where they grew up. And uh, I found that really tough. And also then setting up a studio because I had to move my studio, which so it's not just where you live, it's your, your place of work. I don't know. It's strangely liberating as well. Re- rediscovering yourself as an individual, I guess. And a lot of the album does deal with that. Secondhand Man is just kind of like the cornerstone of that, but there's um, there's certainly other parts, like Single Fathers on the record, and um, there's a couple of other songs that are directly related uh, to that situation. And, yeah, I found it kind of tough, but I'm sure everybody does. You know, I'm sure it's, um, it's not meant to be easy, I wouldn't think, but I also wouldn't change it. I, I learned a lot in that time, and... Certainly, professionally, the Hell Breaks Loose record and and Secondhand Man being the the first single off that, and it did pretty well. It did better for me than any single had done in you know nearly ten years. So I think what really yeah capped it off for me was going on tour on that record and playing you know all the songs from that record, but specifically that one, that song, Secondhand Man, and Single Fathers to a lesser extent, but I would do signings after every show and it was really interesting, the the people that wanted to come up and, and talk about songs, it sort of changed, the demographic changed, um, especially because that song started getting played on commercial radio, which I hadn't had for a while. So all of a sudden I had these sort of approaching middle-aged men coming to the shows and almost equal numbers to the women which has not been the case for a while and then also approaching the merchandise stand after every show which is not really their thing either they usually stand at the back and the the wives come up and buy everything and take it back to them but they were coming up and talking to me and and I remember two or three cases of big burly guys coming up and kind of tearing up talking about secondhand men because they had just been through the same thing I've been really lucky over the years, had people tell me that songs mean, that you've written mean a lot to them, but that was just a whole new frontier, you know, when you have a a man standing in front of you and he's kind of breaking into tears and sharing this whole story with you while you're signing a CD, like it's, and I thought, 
oh, wow, this is this is obviously a universal story. It's I'm not the first person to ever get divorced. I understand that, but to really see the impact and the way it connected with people was like the ultimate final chapter of that song to me. And it's really, really quite amazing the the amount of times that happened and how special it felt. It's not like you want to be up there being a poster boy for this is how, you know, divorce happens if you're a guy and, and all the feelings that come with it. But it certainly would have created a space for men to feel comfortable to talk about their feelings. Have you always been good at that, Shane? I've never been good at, at talking about my feelings in, in the real world. I just do it through songs. <laughs> That's always been the way I've done it. I mean, if I was, maybe I wouldn't have been divorced. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can all take a leaf out of that note, that's for sure. I mean, I just wonder, though, as you say, those lyrics resonate with people, whether they're men or women. Did you ever feel that, oh, gosh, I'm really putting it out there, that this is – but or, or was the power so great that you just thought, it, it, this is the way this album has to be. It's going to talk about this chapter in my life. Absolutely. I, I've, I've never been one to second guess what I wanted to say in songs as much as I do it in real life. I, I write in a really unexpurgated way. Like I don't really self-edit, certainly not as I'm doing it. I don't even think about the idea that there's going to be somebody listening to it. It's, it's more of a purge. It's more of a a, a catharsis or something involved in just getting it done and I don't really think about the consequences of what I write <laughs> it's maybe which is maybe irresponsible but it's also um a freedom in that you know and so I didn't really ever question what the record would be or where I would push it or if it was too soul bearing you know a lot of the interviews and reviews made a big point that it was but to me I, I was I wasn't actually aware that it was that much more soul-bearing than anything I'd done before. I've always just kind of been pretty honest. But I think the difference was the language had changed in that record. It was less maybe uh, – it was maybe less poetic and shrouded in metaphor and it was a bit more direct and it was a bit, it was a bit more maybe transparent what I was thinking rather than uh, me dressing it up in flowery language. So I think maybe that's why it came across as being – more open. Maybe let's talk about how then that work, which you define as some of your best work, goes on to the accolades that came with it because you win an ARIA Award for Best Country Album for that record and, as you say, the single... Secondhand Man, got mainstream airplay. How did those things sort of play out in your mind and what opportunities came after that? All those things are great that come with the song. To me, the song had already served its purpose when I wrote it, you know, and that's I was I was stoked just with it being a song that existed in my songwriting book. Then I was stoked that it was a song that I think was fully realised on a record then I was stoked that it, yeah, it got extra more radio play than normal and broke outside of country world. Then I was stoked the tour went well. I had bigger shows than I'd had in ten years, and and then I was extra excited because I got a you know some extra awards out of that and won my first. It was really because of that song, kicking off that album, that got me my first solo aria. So it was a very fairy tale chapter, all because of this 
one guitar riff, you know, that just started in 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 my little house, you know, a year before that. And then that record led me into a whole new chapter because I signed with a new record company there. I created a new team. I got a new manager. I did everything from scratch. I remember my my old manager told me once that when you make big life decisions, it's good to just do them all at once, <laughs> which was his philosophy, his philosophy. So I did that. I'd been with my previous manager for like 11 years or something and I thought, okay, time for it. Let's just clean the slate here and start again. So it wasn't just a newly single man dad record. It was I had a new manager, a new agent, uh, a new record company. I did everything from scratch and started again. And it was just one of the most creatively fulfilling times because of that. You know, there was like everything was new. Everything was a discovery. And I think I needed that after I'd been doing it for quite a while by then and I needed I needed a, a jump start, you know, and a way to make to make it interesting again for myself and, and get some fresh ideas on board. And so that album and the success of it, um, then bring-boarded us into the next project, which became Love and Blood, and the whole thing just kind of grew. And I feel like Hell Breaks Loose, which was kick-started by Secondhand Man, I feel like that is a whole separate chapter of my career to everything that came before it, and I feel like it's it's completely – obviously it's all connected, but I feel like that was the start of me actually getting really good – at what I do, you know, there was something about it, yeah. I wonder if you can remember the first time you played it live, if that memory stands out to you or some of those first moments of interacting with an audience playing Secondhand Man. I think the first time I played it live was at a a little showcase, a record company showcase for the album before it was released and it's one of those, you know, events where they just hire, uh, sorry, put on a show, get a venue, put on a show and then invite a whole bunch of industry people and it's, it's just about creating a buzz, I guess. And we've been doing them our whole lives and so you, um, you know what to expect and I went along. It's just a nice room filled up with, you know, champagne and hors d'oeuvres and, and a... And a selection of the Sydney media and stuff and then and and other artists and and I got up on stage and then the first time I played it I had my uh, my capo on my guitar three frets too low so I had to sing it it's already a low song for me I had to sing it in a ridiculously low register because I was already too far deep into the song when I realized and I thought oh well that's that's a great way to present this song for the first time completely screwed it up <laughs> and uh, played it in the wrong key couldn't sing it properly um and then um I thought well that there goes this album <laughs> but, but but thankfully that didn't it didn't hinder the progress of the song at all but yeah that was the first time it was a bit of a, a disaster <laughs> And I wonder what, when you do write or make all these notes and you're just in that songwriting space, do you like to share them with others? Do, do you mostly keep it all to yourself, Shane? I don't think I've almost ever played songs to anyone before they've been ready to be recorded. Um, obviously, that's different. Well, the, the records that Casey and I wrote together when we were married, that those ones obviously we did because we were writing them together or working on that through that process together but I don't I don't really play songs of mine to anyone before I record them 
maybe sometimes my manager, but usually that's when it's demoed and ready to be recorded anyway. I, um, I, I'm, a, I'm really, as much as I love collaborating, and I think collaboration is one of the most exciting uh, musical things you can do when it works and the air gets electric and there's ideas firing off everywhere. It's great. I find that that works for me in a recording situation, but in a writing sense, I'm, I'm just really protective of that space. I just like to be with myself and um, take the time I need to take. And I find some songs just, it's such a meandering process for me to get from A to B that it's easier undertaken on my own. And I've always been kind of that way. I think out of all of my solo albums, I think there's like two songs ever that have been uh, co-written with anyone else. So it's just not something I do all that much. And I've I've just developed a process over the years of working really uh, in a solitary fashion all the way right through till I'm ready to present it. Back to what you said earlier about well, you have won Arias before, but it was you and Casey. And to win something under your own name, I guess, for your solo work must have been a great buzz. I know it's not why you make music, tour and do your thing, but that acknowledgement must have made you feel amazing. I wonder if you can recall first hearing that you were the recipient of that award. Oh, yeah, of course. I remember the moment. It was beautiful because I was surrounded by this new team that I'd had sitting with my new record label, I had my man- my manager beside me, my best friend Matt Fell who produced the record and it was one of those great moments of vindication, you know. And not that I'm spiteful or anything at all about any of my past with my labels, I love all the people I've worked with, but I was up against artists on the label I just left and so to win that award meant so much to me. <laughs> it was It was just one of those great career moments where you think, wow, that I couldn't have made this run any better, you know. So I got a chance to stand up there and thank those people for coming on board and working ridiculously hard on that record. And, and that's one of the best things about winning an award is getting the chance to stand up in front of the whole industry and thank the people that made re- made really made it happen. You don't get those opportunities very often. To not to mention them on that level, you know, but also just to stand there and hold you know, an award with your name on it. I think I even said that in my speech, you know, and I grew up watching those awards and, you know, John Farnham standing up there holding them or something and to stand there and hold your own and thank the people that helped you get there. It's a, it's a pretty amazing career moment for anyone and, and I know most artists will tell you they don't make music to win awards but they also, none of them will give them back. You know, you would, they're great. They're pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode with Shane Nicholson. More information about his new album, Living in Colour, and his summer tour can be found in the episode notes. If you haven't already, please check out other podcasts from Mushroom, weekly music culture news on Hit Different, new music from some of Australia's best singer-songwriters, Paul Kelly is one of them, search for one guitar, and leave a review for this podcast, Some of My Best Work, on your podcast app.